life intersect. Our faith impacts every area of our lives, and it's not something that can just be boxed to the side or kept for a Sunday. The story of God's people shows us that life without faith is an empty life, and that faith without practical application in our life is of no real value either. Our faith should be shaping everything that we are and everything that we do. Today, from the book of Genesis, I want to share with you the story about Hagar, what we know about her journey, her choices, and her revelation of God. And you cannot tell Hagar's story with also telling something of Sarah's story. And the story of these two women and where their lives intersect is to be found in Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. And I choose to share these stories today because as a woman, I believe that there's so much that we can learn about God and how he wants to impact the stories of our lives through their story. Sarah and Hagar are in many ways opposites, and as such, they represent the narrative of two very different kinds of women. Sarah is a woman who seemingly has it all. We're told that she's a very beautiful woman who is married to a man, Abraham, who has been told or given this promise by God that through him would all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham has become a very wealthy man, and Sarah was undoubtedly a woman who was very well looked after and living a privileged lifestyle where she had servants to do her bidding and follow her orders. Hagar, in contrast, is a woman who has nothing. Being a slave to Sarah, she has no power over her destiny. She has very little status and probably very little hope. She is a woman whose needs and wishes are not considered and has to simply obey and do what she is told. All we know about her background is that she is an Egyptian and is regarded as the property of Abraham and Sarah along with all the other manservants and maidservants. We don't know how Hagar came to be part of their household or how long she has been with them. Some have connected Abraham and Sarah's stay in Egypt during the years of famine with the Egyptian maidservant joining their family. But that history aside, we know that Hagar is a foreign woman in a strange land, separated against her will from her homeland and from her family. And when we look deeper at the story, we see that the woman who seemingly has it all and the woman who has nothing actually land up with the situation being reversed. And Sarah is revealed to have some very serious struggles of her own. And Hagar has her situation elevated to the point where Sarah actually feels threatened by her. And so let's look at the biblical account of their story as it unfolds and see what the Lord has to say to each of us this morning. Won't you open up your Bibles, if you have them, to chapter 16, and if not, just follow along as I tell you this story. Now Sarah, as she was then called, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now God has promised a son to Abram, but there's one thing that is notice, noticeably absent from this promise. And that was that God had never included Sarai in that promise. God never said that Abram would have a son through Sarai, only that Abram would have a son. It does not mean that this was not part of God's plan. I mean, it clearly was, for Sarai was Abram's legal wife. But she had, at this point, never had a direct word from God herself. 
I think it's helpful to understand this because her actions have been criticized throughout history as those of a woman who was impatient and lacking faith. And it's very easy to heap these sins on her without walking first in her shoes. Sarah was a woman living under enormous pressure. She was aware of the promise given to her husband. She knew how much it meant to him. And yet here she was, unable to conceive. Now in Israel and among the people at that time generally, barrenness was a woman and a family's greatest misfortune and caused a woman to even experience social reproach. Women who experienced barrenness often understood their inability to conceive as a divine withholding of blessing, a punishment or even a curse. And certainly from the scripture we see that Sarah understood her barrenness to be the result of God withholding the gift of pregnancy. That no doubt left this woman feeling deep shame, desperation, intense frustration and abandoned and overlooked by the God of promise who had spoken to her husband. So Sarah takes matters into her own hands and decides to ensure that this promise is fulfilled, but through alternative means. And she resorts to a practice which was legal in those ancient times. If a man's wife could not have children, he could have children by his wife's slave. And any child born to the slave was considered to be the child of the woman to whom the slave was under. And that's apparently what Sarai had in mind. If Hagar fell pregnant, her child would be considered to be Sarai's legal offspring. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar does not get any say in this. This decision is just made that she is going to be used to provide an heir. And she's given to Abraham as what amounts to his concubine, which awful though this is, is an elevation of her status as a slave. And the plan works in that she does conceive, except it doesn't quite work out like Sarai expected. And there's now conflict in the home. And the fact that Hagar could immediately conceive when Sarai could not after years and years and years might have tempted Hagar to see herself as superior to her mistress and certainly would have had an impact on Sarai herself emotionally. But whatever the motivation behind the attitude change, Sarai feels Hagar's contempt and it deeply upsets her. Sarai's plan might have worked, but not quite like she thought it would. In fact, the consequences of her actions have implications that she never anticipated or really thought through. And one of the consequences now is marital strife between her and Abraham. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Not the man's finest hour. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. And we're not told the specifics of Sarai's mistreatment of Hagar, but it is so unbearable that Hagar feels that her only option now is actually to run away. And it's got to have been a really rough time for Hagar, who was used to being treated as a slave, to flee into the desert as a pregnant woman. I mean, I cannot think of a more inhospitable environment for a woman in her condition. And she doesn't even know where she's going. Although it seems that she heads in the, the direction of Egypt, 
Um, she just knows that she has got to get out of this untenable living situation. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. And in the middle of the wilderness, Hagar has an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And the angel calls her by name. And that's significant because up until this point in chapter 16, nobody has spoken to her or about her by name. Both Sarai and Abram and their references to her just call her my slave or your slave. But when the angel of the Lord speaks to her, he says, Hagar, acknowledging her as a person known by name to Almighty God. The name Hagar actually means flight or stranger. But this woman who is fleeing is no stranger to Almighty God. And even though the angel knows the answer already, he asks Hagar where she's come from and where she's going. And Hagar only answers one of these two questions, and that rather vaguely. And in response, the angel tells her what she now needs to do. And he says to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Do you know that Hagar is the only woman in the Bible who receives a promise from God of descendants? And she has promised that from her will come a multitude of descendants. And that's very similar to the promise that God had given to Abram in Genesis 15. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. She's also the first woman to hear the announcement from an angel that she's going to bear a child. And her son is going to be called Ishmael, which means God hears. God heard Hagar's affliction. And he tells her too what kind of man Ishmael will be and what his descendants will be like as well. And these are not quite the words that came from Sharon's lips today. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Ishmael will experience great affliction at the hands of others and will also cause great affliction as well. And whereas Abraham's descendants through Sarai will bring blessing to the world, Hagar's will bring strife. In fact, looking ahead in Genesis, we find that one of Abraham's grandsons, Esau, married Ishmael's daughter. And it was the Ishmaelite traders, also referred to as Midian merchants, who themselves descended from an Egyptian maidservant, transported his great-grandson Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Hagar now responds and says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. In Hebrew it says, El Roy. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Be'lahai Roi, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave this name to the Lord, El Roi, which means the God who sees me. It is the only occurrence of El Roi in the Bible, and it is a beautiful name of God. Hagar found herself in a nightmare of a situation, alone, impoverished, pregnant, with no hope and no future, but the God who sees me 
had seen Hagar and her predicament. The God who numbers the very hairs on our head, who knows every detail of our circumstances, past, present, and future, met with Hagar. And Hagar discovered that she was not alone, and that God actually had a future for her and for her son. God saw her, and it was the knowledge of this truth that gave her the strength that she needed to return to Abraham's tribe. She had a purpose to live for, to bear a child who had an important destiny and to raise that child who would have descendants without number. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had borne. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So she returns, gives birth to her son, he's named Ishmael. And while we don't know how Sarai treated her upon her return or the baby, it seems everything was going okay. But then we jump ahead 14 years to Genesis chapter 21. When Sarah herself now has a son. And the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, and Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. Names have changed now in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son, Isaac. The old animosity flares up again between Sarah and Hagar. And Sarah was really threatened by Ishmael's presence, fearing that he was to take away from her own son's inheritance and wanted him and Hagar banished. This time it's not Hagar running away, but Sarah permanently wanting her and her son expelled from the household. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. At least this time he's distressed about his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. And early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off, sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there. And she began to sob. Hagar once again finds herself in the wilderness. And this time, she is left in the horrific situation of seeing her son suffering greatly in the desert heat. And she knows it's not going to be long before her son is just past helping. And unable to bear the hopelessness in the face of Ishmael's anguish, 
She sits down several meters away and she just begins wailing out her grief. Where was El Roy, the God who sees me? Her son was named God Hears. Was God's ear now deaf to her cries? Psalm 69 verse 3 echoes words that surely mirrored what Hagar was experiencing. I am worn out crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Well, the wilderness certainly seems to be Hagar's place of an encounter with the Almighty because it says, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Alroy, the God who sees, yet again speaks life and hope over Hagar and in lifting up her eyes, she immediately sees God's provision in front of her. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his, wife, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So Hagar and his son are saved from death and they continue on their journey knowing that it's only God and themselves that they have to rely on. And they make a life for themselves in the wilderness of Paran, where Ishmael grew to manhood. And when it came time for Ishmael to marry, Hagar found him a wife from her own people in Egypt, not from the people of his father. And the promise that God made to Hagar and Ishmael so many years before was not broken by God. In their time of trial, it might have been forgotten by them, but it was never forgotten by God. And God did increase Ishmael's descendants until they were too numerous to count. He became the father of 12 sons. These sons eventually took wives, had children, and through these children, tribes were formed. And these tribes made up the nations that dwell from Havilah to Shur, from Egypt to Assyria. And we do know, as I mentioned earlier, that Ishmael also had one known daughter who became the third wife of Esau. We also know that Ishmael appeared with Isaac at the burial of Abraham and that he himself died at the age of 137. There's two things that I take from the story that I find incredibly helpful and healing. And the first one is that God is the God of real people. You know, there are many historical accounts in the Old Testament that can feel, leave you feeling really disturbed and, and sometimes even overwhelmed at the, the real depth of human depravity. In fact, in this very vicinity of Genesis, there are several of those. And the story of Hagar and Sarah is no exception with many things recorded here that we're probably deeply uncomfortable with. Why are these stories included in the scripture? You know, the account of history that we read in the Old Testament is just that. It is the real story of real people who are raw and broken by their sin. And what these accounts show us is just the depth of every human's need for Jesus Christ. These are real people with real hopes and dreams, with human passions and faith, but also failure. These are people who, who step out in faith, but also stumble in doubt and in disobedience. 
And it is a great reminder to us as we see these stories that God's primary revelation to humanity is not through a whole book of doctrines or rules that we have to obey, but it is through relationships with real people in real time. And God's ultimate revelation came in human form. God came to be with us, Emmanuel, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, his living word to us. And God wants a relationship with us all. We don't have to wait for our lives to be cleaned and sanitized in order for God to work in us. God came for the lost and the broken and the hurting. And that is where he's able to encounter us. I fear that many of us put on masks when we we come to to church on Sunday. And we feel afraid and shamed to, to share and show our real hurting selves. But how else are we to find healing unless we have the freedom to bring into the light what we carry in the darkness? Our community times together are times we gather as real people, at times raw and broken by our sin. We need Jesus. And we need the ministry of his Holy Spirit in our midst. God will not be shocked by anything. He has been there for all time and has seen it all. And what would you honestly answer if the God came to you today and asked you those first two questions he asked Hagar? My child, where have you come from? My child, where are you going? The second beautiful truth for me is that God sees us and God hears us. Hagar had a real wilderness experience when she ran away, and in the wilderness, she discovered that God was Elroy, the God who sees. And the God who saw Hagar is the God who sees each one of us. He is your Elroy, the God who sees you. Hagar had to also experience another wilderness encounter. She lost everything, her home, her husband, her security, her comfort, For 14 years, she had lived with Abraham and Sarah, empowered by the promises that God had given her. And then she's abandoned in the wilderness. And those promises that God made to her 14 years back seem about to die. She cannot even begin to see hope again. But El Roy, the God who sees me, encounters her yet again. And maybe you've also had your own desert experience wilderness experience, and perhaps like Hagar, you found yourselves yet again in the desert, and the hope that has sustained you is also gone. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and hope deferred can look like many things. An agonizing search for a job that's just filled with endless interviews and rejections, A prayer of salvation for a loved one that just continues unanswered year after year after year. A long-term battle with illness. A dream not realized. A string of losses that just leave you feeling empty. Hope deferred can lead to depression, to anxiety, and actual physical sickness. And in the face of hopelessness, we can become spiritually dried up and vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And the promises of God are forgotten, and we see no way forward. Hagar prepared to die, seeing no hope in front of her. Yet as she lay there weeping, God spoke to her and said, What is the matter, Hagar? 
And then he says these beautiful words, do not be afraid. The God who sees you wants to know your need. And he wants to speak words of faith and courage to you this day. Do not be afraid. God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw the well of water. What a powerful reminder to her that he was still the God who sees me. God is referred to by many names throughout the Bible, yet the name that is one of my favorites and has personally meant the most to me and brought me greatest peace and hope is El Roy, the God who sees me. It is a great reminder that God knows what I'm experiencing even when I feel that I'm in the wilderness. It is a reminder that God understands. It is a reminder that the God who sees me knows not only my past and my present, but also my future. He is the God who can see the wells of water that I am blinded to, the streams of blessing and refreshing and life that await me if I will just let him open my eyes. And it is a reminder that the God who sees me is the God who will never abandon me. You know, the reality of life is that it is not always neat and nice. There are not always solutions ahead that remove us from challenging environments. But knowing that we never have to be alone and that God sees and God knows, it gives me the courage and the faith that no matter what the future holds, he will never leave me nor forsake me and that his presence and his spirit in my life bring purpose and they bring hope. There's a Christian artist by the name of Lauren Daigle whose song words I find incredibly anointed and powerful. And one of those, um, some words from one of her songs say this, your ways are always higher. Your plans are always good. There's not a place where I go that you have not already stood. Do not be afraid. And I just want to just give us some moments as a family just to take some time to ponder those three questions. We have the amazing privilege of standing in that side of history where we get to come to this communion table together, knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What might those women's lives have looked at if that could have been their story. Allow the Lord to speak to you as you answer these three questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And what is the matter? Can I ask you all now just to, to stand as I have the great privilege of praying over us all before we go into communion. And I want to just pray this over us all. Receive these words of the Lord to your heart today. Do not be afraid. 
Lord, you are the God who sees us and who hears us in our times of need, especially when we've been mistreated or we find ourselves in the desert and feel we just can't go on. Elroy, the God who sees us. We want to declare that we choose today to trust in you. No matter what we are facing, be it pain, disappointment, anxiety, fear, or despair, we know that there is nothing going on in our lives that you do not see. We declare that you are our strength and comfort. You are our firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand. And we receive your words over us again, do not be afraid. So we pray that you would give us the faith, the strength, and the courage that we need to go forward in life with renewed hope and stronger love. Deepen our faith, Lord, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.